Hi, and welcome to Deer IQ, where smart hunting begins. I'm Adam Lewis, 20 plus year educator, 30 plus year deer hunter, untastefully seasoned outdoor writer, and I'm here to help you achieve what we all hope for, to be truly greater deer hunters. We're in part three of our series, To Be in a Deer's Head, dissecting the needs, motivations, and leveraging these to predict the whitetail future to really up our odds as hunters. Today we're with whitetail expert Doug Roberts again, and we will look at what 32 years of being a deer farmer has told him about mature bucks. Something most of us don't really get much of an education on in a lifetime of hunting. There are some really great insights. And you'll have to excuse a couple hard cuts, we had some audio issues, but I think it turned out well and you'll really get something good out of this episode. As we start, I want to challenge you to do a couple things. First, download our free journal to use with this podcast. Second, as you use that, here are the top look-fors or things to look for during this episode. What is the number one thing Doug has learned about mature bucks over his 32-year career? What is potentially the ideal age to shoot a buck for both antler size but also ability to shoot him? This may surprise some folks that are listening here. And according to Doug, what are three things to consider as how to know when to make a move on a mature buck? And there's a lot more in there too. And I have a challenge at the end that you won't want to miss, and I reveal Doug's Deer IQ score. So make sure to stay and listen for that. And now let's get to the podcast and up your Deer IQ. All right, I'm back here with Doug Roberts of Conquest Deer Farms and Conquest Sense. And last uh, episode, we talked just about deer in general, uh, some things that Doug has learned over 32 years of basically living with deer. And I uh, highly recommend you go back and listen to that podcast, that episode, if you didn't a little bit about Doug's background, but just the vast knowledge he brings to the table. Um, and while we might want to listen a little bit as we are trying to be greater deer hunters, just from that. And we're looking at what it means to be in a deer's head, because if we can do that as hunters, and I think that should be a goal of ours, really think like the deer think and try to get in their head, uh, we're definitely going to be more successful. And we talked in general about deer last time. But Doug, thanks again for giving us your time here. Um, it's great to have you on again. That's good to be on, Adam. Let's let's look at uh, and talk about mature deer. So you're around deer all the time. You've grown some huge bucks on your farms. Uh, and I'm talking about like intimate, you know, knowledge of these uh, things and observations. Because if you think about it, as normal hunters most of us aren't around mature bucks uh, at all, right? I mean, me growing up in Michigan, I didn't see a mature buck until I started hunting out of state, you know, in my probably close to 30 years old, right? And so it's just something we don't observe and see very often. Um, And even if we're in the field hunting, we aren't really around deer that much when we're out there. It's just like little... Uh, portions of time here and there when we actually observe deer and Doug's around them every day and he sees different classes of deer by age as well and so he has all these observations and knowledge of truly big and mature bucks so Doug as you have been with deer so long and different things what do you observe about 
uh, mature bucks that are, I guess, different maybe than what guys assume. And what have mature bucks taught you, I guess, over the years uh, of raising deer? Well, it's interesting, Adam, on, on the farm over the years, we separate our age classes of bucks um, in different what we call pens or areas where they stay. So we'll have all the one-year-olds in an area, the two-year-olds are in an area, three-year-olds in an area, four-year-olds in an area. And so daily, throughout all of the seasons and all the years, we've been able to see what I call personality traits in each age group throughout the spring, the summer, going into the pre-rut, the rut, the post-rut, coming back into late winter when they're just trying to build up their, their body again. Um, and, and I think the biggest thing that we notice, and I'll say it's four and five-year-old bucks and older, is the patience that those bucks demonstrate they are never in a hurry. They definitely have figured out their favorite spots to be in. And I'm talking about bedding areas. Um, and then how they get to their food sources are normally always a little different than the younger deer. Um, yearlings, two-year-olds, some three-year-olds, uh, I find it interesting that if you come to the farm and we're going to those areas and those pens, there's a straight line from the bedding area to the feed. <laughs> and it just, I mean, it's, it's like a little cow path. It's amazing. And yet when you look at the older bucks and you watch them get up in the evenings, especially and go out to feed to the feeders or the fields, very seldom do they ever take the same direction or the same path hmm. two days in a row. They, they change it a little bit um, and they have patience. You know, you and I've talked over the years, I have watched mature bucks that will stand motionless for up to 45 minutes. They don't move anything because they're surveying and they'll outweigh any human being we we just don't as hunters have the patience because again i talk to so many different hunters and they go you know i get out of work i've got x amount of time to get in that tree stand it's got to happen you know be, i only get to hunt the weekends or i only get to hunt these two days a week well that's the best thing a deer could ever hear if they could understand what we're saying because they're just going to go well I live here. I, I'm in no hurry. I'll just wait you out. And the older and more mature a buck gets, the more patience they have. And they don't get into uh, patterns. Um, they, they have their own patterns, but it's much more difficult to figure out what those patterns are because they've learned if I change them, certain dangers don't seem to appear as often. Yeah, that's that's a big one there. Uh, and again, we talked in the first segment here just about how, you know, typically deer pattern us more than we pattern them uh, in general. And as a buck ages, he's just picking up all that knowledge. Um, and 
just how as hunters we we are very impatient i mean uh if i go out hunting you know and i only have a certain block of time like you said or we know hunting season itself is a certain as a limit right and so when i get out there and i'm you know deer are coming out or they're coming by my stand or whatever uh it's very easy to be tempted by the first buck or first decent buck that shows up and you know if i can't be patient then i'm actually first of all these older bucks are probably the last ones out right they're they're letting these other deer uh go out there and take the risk basically for them and if i go ahead and shoot something i just educated that deer even more right well it's it's interesting you bring that up because that's kind of the next phase of what hunters have to understand is um well, in Michigan, it's very hard to find a, a four or five year old buck. Let's face that the the herd management uh, mm-hmm. that's been done most of the deer one to maybe a few three year olds. So I don't count them as getting to maturity. But let's go to uh, Iowa, Kansas, Illinois, um, where the the herd is mature. We do find a lot of four, five, six, sometimes seven year old bucks in those herds and the buck to doe ratio is very balanced. Now, if we look at those bucks, um, you're right. They, first of all, the young bucks never get into the breeding program. They, they know that there's too many big guys in the area and they don't wanna fight them and so they stay out of that. But once they get into that breeding age of three and a half and up, not that two-year-olds and yearlings don't breed, um, but if there's a three, four-year-old buck standing there with a doe and there's a one and two, the one and two is not even going to try to take that buck on. It's, it's, it's too intimidated. And um, it doesn't have the experience in fighting. So it's either going to get injured or it's going to get killed. Um, so they stay out of the fact. But those mature bucks have the ability of patience of waiting you out. Um and you're right, when, when we go in as hunters, you know, I just talked to a guy this week, you know, I've got five to seven days. I, it takes a day to set my stands up, takes a day to set them down. So really out of seven days, I got five days. On, it's gotta happen, I gotta get it done. Now, the thing that's really improved and helped are trail cameras, because you don't have to be there mm-hmm. and you can start to pattern some of those bucks. Um, so those are a big benefit. But if you don't have trail cameras and you just literally have to go on what we're seeing in that environment um, and the timing, you just got to spend the time. Now, there's certain bucks that will have patterns that might be different for three straight days. In other words, that one scrape they may hit on, a let's say, a Monday, they may not be back off their cycle and get back to that one scrape till Thursday or Friday. So you can sit over it for three, four days and that buck is not gonna be there. The other thing that mature bucks always have is what you said was a subordinate buck, a guinea pig. (laughs) Um, And that's for a number of reasons. Uh, What most people don't understand is a deer cannot clean himself from his shoulders up. If you think about it, they can't clean their face. They can't 
comb their hair, do call it what you want, but they can't groom themselves from their front shoulders up. And so they have a subordinate buck that will do that for them in exchange. They'll do that for a subordinate buck. But the problem is that subordinate buck in the evening is always going to come out into that field prior to that mature buck. Now, if you're in Kansas and Southern Ohio or Illinois and Iowa where I've hunted, that that subordinate buck might be a 160-inch buck. Well, that's huge to somebody in Michigan. Very few people can turn that buck down. Yeah. But the mature buck right behind it, that's going to probably come out 20 minutes after, might be 190-inch. So that's the problem. It is exactly what you said. Um, yearlings are with the yearlings. A two-year-old will be with two-year-olds or a yearling. A three-year-old will either have a two or a one-year-old. A four-year-old is going to have a two or a three-year-old. They're not going to have a yearling around them. I promise you that. Um, and as it goes up, then it gets older. But hunters, again, have to be patient and let really good bucks. Again, you have to age them. If that, if that body of that buck and the attitude of that deer is telling you it's only three and a half and you're hunting mature bucks, let it walk. But it's, it's hard for a lot of hunters to do that. Hi, this is Adam Lewis with DeerIQ.com and this is your High IQ Moment. Do you know the biggest barriers to public land hunting success? Well, one of the biggest is what I call the Disneyland mentality. This is where hunters glorify a certain aspect or area of hunting that doesn't quite jive with the current reality. One big example of this I currently see is going deep, like miles back into a swamp or even taking a canoe or kayak way back in somewhere that seems remote. This sometimes works real well, but is becoming less and less the case. With the publication and high exposure of such magical places in podcasts and YouTube videos, now everyone is doing this and pressuring these once secret areas. Don't get wrapped up in the Disneyland mentality if you want success on public land. To see all the barriers standing in your way and new solutions to beating them, Get our free public land hunting guide filled with new strategies to beat the crowds and still find success. It's linked below. And if you're getting something out of this podcast, consider sharing it with a friend who may benefit. That really helps this podcast grow and we really appreciate it. And now back to the podcast. Yeah, and I would guess some of it too is knowing, you know, what really your goals are, right? Uh, are you uh going for just mature bucks are you out there to shoot anything decent are you just out there for meat you know and i guess understanding that and helping that drive your your decisions uh but for guys yeah going after mature bucks uh a lot of it is that patience game being able to hold off and i would guess too you know is some of that so as they get older they hit that would you say four is kind of the magic uh point where they mature and some of their patterns start to change a little bit all of a sudden they're a smart buck versus at three they're they're still a little bit dumb type thing um would, would that be an accurate statement yeah i would say that because yeah at three and a half they have to get into the breeding competition let's call it the rut cycle 
um, nature just tells them, I've got to get into this program. And so, yes, once they've been through that war that first year and they make it through, a four, a four and a half year old buck is much, much more mature mentally than a three, a two, or a one. From then on, they, what I call, they have the game figured out. Now it's just a matter of fine tuning it and mastering that, um, staying away from car accidents, staying away from hunters, um, and finding their little niche. And again, having that subordinate buck that is willing to do what it needs to do uh, ahead of them um, absolutely helps. Our impatience and lack of time as hunters is what causes most of us, and I include myself because I have messed up so many hunts uh, by shooting the first big buck that comes out. Um, I had an opportunity in Iowa, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, you know, we were shotgun hunting, mm -hmm. so it was, it was party hunting and driving. And I got set on the last stand and literally I had 74 deer come past me on the left side, all, all single file. I mean, it was amazing to see. Well, I'm so entranced on that over here. I for, didn't realize there's a whole nother group coming from the right side. Um, and I ended up shooting a nice, uh, you know, a nice 150 something inch buck. It was the last deer out of 74 deer, not realizing that coming from my right, was 173 inch six by six and behind it were four 200 inch whitetails and people can say well how do you know they're all 200 inch i'm pretty good at scoring and i'm pretty good at scoring deer quick and i'll never forget the one had massive uh -huh. double drop lines and here i am i just shot the 150 which i was happy with until i looked over here and went oh my gosh i got four 200 inch bucks all within shooting range and they didn't have a clue I was there. They're just walking towards me. Hmm. And so I, I was able to get the, the 170 inch because I didn't realize they were there until after I shot him. And now I've got two deer and they, you know, we're party wow. on, so it's le it was legal. But I'm going, I can't shoot another buck. And so I missed my chance at a 200 inch whitetail mm -hmm. simply because of exactly what we're talking about impatience i'm so happy with what i did but i'll never forget and i'll never get the picture of those four standing there turning around and leaving and never shooting at them it was like oh my gosh what did i just do yeah i think sometimes that patience for hunters means uh understanding that again yeah they're not on our time schedule and we try to make them work around our time schedule and it, it, you really have to change your mentality to that um and it might mean you're just gathering data to maybe hunt that same buck next year like as far as time wise just that, that sort of patience uh is really needed talk a little bit dog i thought this was super interesting when we were chatting before about uh antler size and age class how does antler typically grow in a you know this is ideal and general i guess generalization of things but antlers and putting on inches versus age and also that smarts we talk about you know we talk about from three and a half to four they gain a lot of 
uh, knowledge, you know, and maturity. Uh, what does that look like for in- inches and how do those kind of go together for a hunter that, you know, wants to, uh, I guess, maximize their opportunities? Right. What's interesting, and this is what's nice about deer farming, is we're able to do a lot of different studies. And a number of years ago, um, probably 20 years ago, um, we did a study um, over a a number of years on the antler growth of yearling bucks, two-year-old bucks, three-year-old bucks, four-year-old bucks, and five-year-old bucks. And what we did is we did it all on one farm. So we knew the genetics were consistent. And what we found is as Mm -hmm. from one to two was the largest jump in antler growth of all the years. It was about 126%, uh, give or take a few percentage points. I know it was in that ballpark and it was really staggering. So uh, whatever that buck was as a yearling, he increased in that from one and a half to two and a half, about 126%. From two to three was the next largest jump, but I believe it went down to like 57 to 60%, quite a decrease. It was almost 50% decrease when you look at it, Um, but yet a large jump in antler growth. But from three and a half to four and a half, it went down to like 12%, 10, 12% in there. And then from four to five, it was it was under ten percent. It was very very small, um, and so what it told us was, if you're looking at a perfect world where they're getting all the nutrition they need, there are no stress levels, there's no injuries. Really, the little bit of growth from three and a half to four and a half um, isn't worth for us as farmers isn't worth that little bit of growth for the injuries and the death loss that we were seeing in those bucks. Because remember at what we said earlier at three and a half nature, their, their adrenaline, their testosterone tells them I have to get into the breeding of the does full go, which means I now have to have my own territory. I have to fight for my own territory. I'm going to have to fight older, more mature bucks, which means I'm, there's a good chance I'm going to get injured. But at worst, I don't get injured, but I wear my body down. I lose body weight. Now I have to gain that body weight back before I can grow antler the following year. Uh, most hunters, again, don't understand pre-rut body weight is the total dictator of antler production the following year. So in a perfect world like Kansas, Iowa, so many of those well-balanced habitat, the two and a half year old bucks don't get in that big fighting breeding rut period. They stay out of it. So they're out there eating you know, they're chasing does and they'll try to breed them if they can, but I'm not fighting you. I'll stay off at my distance. They can grow all the antler they want going into their three-year-old. That three-year-old and up, they've got to rebuild body and fix the injuries that they've incurred before they grow that antler growth. And so that's kind of the structure that we've seen uh, within the deer farming industry. And ironically, I I see it very consistent in the wild. Look at the handsome buck. They aged that deer at three and a half years old, and it's still the current world record. If you look at a lot of the world records, they were aged at three and a half years old. 
Um, not that there weren't some four, maybe some fives, but the majority are three and a half years old. And there's a reason for that. Yeah. They're the, if I could summarize that, they're the, the biggest potential, not that they wouldn't grow. And some guys, you know, you, you look at, especially TV, uh, some of these guys, oh, you know, we don't shoot them until they get six years old, you know, and that might be, there might be their maximum potential, but like you said, they're not going to grow much over four, probably. And then will they be around or not? Because uh, the neighbors, because of injuries, all that stuff, right? It's realistic in the wild. So for a hunter who maybe doesn't have that perfect scenario to let deer just go to five, six, seven years old, the three and a half year old might be their best bet because it's a kind of a combination of uh, the biggest antlers probably, or close to it, uh, genetically that they could have, and they're still a little bit dumb and still more shootable than once they get into that four-year-old range. Is that is that a accurate statement? I guess. I, I, I yes, and I absolutely wouldn't go past four and a half. Um, three and a half's not out of the equation. You know, Adam. You know, I've built a number of high fence hunting ranches um, throughout North America. In, in large ones, you know, 1,500 acres, 1,000 acres, you know, we're now working on one that's 2,500 acres. Um, and, and it was, it has stayed very true in there. And, and really when you put the right number of deer in those habitats where you have to hunt, um, what we ironically found in there as well was the largest antlered bucks seemed to be three and a half, a few of them at four and a half, but never at five. Um, what we found was if they made it to five, six, seven, they pretty much stayed score wise the same or went down a little, but they would get heavier in mass, but they would lose time length. They would lose width. Um, they would become more, I guess, what you call compact. Um, not that that's not a great deer, but he's not what he was in his prime. Um, and so as we learned and saw this over the years of all the different ranches I put together, um, I started moving the age that we started hunting them down. And the last one we were at, we were hunting three and a half year old bucks because of that. Um, and seemed to be very successful with, with quality of, of size of antlers. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good, it's a good thing to know. I think most people do not realize that hunters have all been trained by these tv shows because they've got this big area that they can protect and they can let them grow up and they can feed uh-huh. them to say hey you know this five and six and seven year old buck well that's not reality for 99 percent of the hunters in this country um and so it doesn't fit it's great for a tv show but it's not reality um when people are hunting and where they're hunting yeah very true so to kind of wrap up this segment, we've been talking about one of the biggest things hunters can do is be patient, right? Especially with mature bucks. Um, let's say I'm monitoring uh, me with trail cameras or something, a big buck on my property. Uh, maybe he is what I would deem unshootable, right? He's showing up on night night pictures, but not during the day. Um, what are some of the things, you know, talking about being patient that a hunter, some of the, I guess, keys or factors I should be looking at to know 
when's the best time to hunt him? Like, what are some of those things I should look for? Uh, so I go in at the, I guess, highest odds, highest odds time. Uh, three things that I think you would want to really pay attention to. I would definitely want to use the moon phases. Um, gravitational pull definitely has something to do with getting them up on their feet and moving. Secondly, I would be patient enough until we get into the rut and the post rut actually becomes better. Um, and the reason I say that during the rut, the does are all coming into heat. So he's going to go get locked up numerous times with different does as he breeds them. So that could be, he could go disappear for up to three days, uh, each time. But once the post rut comes in, he's still looking for does to breed and they're all bred in the area. Now, if you put an extra scent out, and I'm not trying to sell our product, whatever, it's just if you put what he's looking for in that area during hunting times, during the morning and during the evening, and he smells that, he's going to come to that sooner, and you're going to be able to pull him out of darkness. Um, it might be right at the edge of darkness, but you're going to pull him out sooner because he knows all the other bucks in the area of all ages are looking for that same smell. You just got to make sure you're putting the real smell out there. Now, if you can combine that with a doe decoy, uh, lots of times you can get them to react even better. You have to remember there's three things on a deer that you have to take in a, into effect. And that is the nose, the eyes, and the ears. And I always say if it's, there's, three thirds. If I can get the nose to believe what it's smelling, I can get the eyes to believe what it's seeing. I've got two thirds percent chance or 66% chance of harvesting that buck. And if I can get the ears involved, that's even better. But I want two out of the three. And then I can get that deer to do what I wanted to do more on a timeline of mine than of his. Um, a, a mature buck is most vulnerable post rut in early winter when they have to feed and build their body back up. And if you can hunt in those two periods, your chance of shooting a mature big buck is, is going to go up substantially. Yeah, that's some really good tips. Um, speaking of myself here too, and I think a lot of guys, you know, we get caught up in, oh, I'm going to grunt, you know, use the grunt call, oh, I'm going to rattle. And we're just playing to one of the senses. And if a big buck comes in, they, they might hear something, let's say, like a grunt and come in and check it out. But if they don't see something or smell something to help confirm that, they usually won't come all the way in. I've, uh, I've observed that quite a bit. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, okay, just again, thinking about what that deer needs to observe to really be convinced, right? Especially this deer's smarter, right? We're not talking about the young, dumb ones that might just wander right in there. Uh, we're talking about the older, smarter deer. So those are really good things to remember. So Doug, tell us about, um, what you got going on at Conquest Sense. You kind of mentioned it there and I've been to your farm several times and seen your operation there and what you guys do. Uh, and you, but you guys have a ton of stuff that, uh, can help hunters. Tell us a little bit about that. And I think you have some new stuff too, as well. 
Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's a genetic breeding farm that we also have a group of deer on this farm that we collect all the scents from, um, all the scents and smells. So, you know, of course, Evercomb is our, what we call our golden child. Um, it's, it's a calming scent. It's an attractant. All deer of all ages feel safe coming to it and being around it. Um, and then, you know, of course, we came out with a wax formula, which was new and different, and uh, it really works well. You wipe it out. It doesn't leak. It doesn't spill. And, and the scent simply evaporates out of the wax. Um, a couple of years ago, we came out with the scent fire unit, um, which is actually a vaping unit. So we were able to take the liquid scent and put it in a non-scented oil, basically, where it could heat up extremely quick. And what's nice about that is the hunters can work that by remote up to 40 yards away. So you actually control the volume of scent that you put out and when you put it out. And we have all of our whitetail scents, our running buck, our VS1 estrus scent, and our Evercalm in all these forms. Um, but the one thing that hunters and, and the deer industry have always struggled with is when we get into cold temperatures and get into freezing temperatures, all these types of scents either freeze solid or they really slow down the ability to go through the air because the molecules are moving so slow. And so a year ago, I've actually known about this and knew, thought about this many years ago, um, was how do we heat scent? Well, we've actually come up with these things called thermopads. And what it is, it's a, it's a wafer pad, a flat wafer pad that is scented with Rutting Buck, Evercalm, or VS1, our real whitetail scents. And then you can slide them in butane heated scent dispensing devices and heat them in freezing temperatures. And so we've now figured out how to, how to get scent out into the air in that late season when these bucks are vulnerable, they are looking for an estrus scent. And you know, everyone knows, like if you take a loaf of bread here, that's just cold in the bread, you really don't smell it. But if I make a hot loaf of bread in the oven, the whole house fills up with that smell and everyone goes, oh my gosh, that's what you're doing yeah. with the fence now, putting them in this heated unit. Um, so that's what's kind of neat. And we're also work developing our own unit that should be available coming up in 2024. So we're excited about that. But the thermopads are available now. Fun times. That's <laughs> how my brain works. Awesome. Yeah, I know. You got a lot going on there. Uh, check out in its, what's your website again where people can see this, Doug? ConquestSense.com. Right. So check it out there. They have uh, synthetic sense as well as their real sense that they collect directly from the deer. Um, so some good stuff there to check out, Doug. Thanks again for coming on and just sharing so much. It's a lot for us to digest here and, uh, but appreciate you uh, and your time. No problem. This is always fun to do. So I forgot to mention in the episode that Doug scored an 8 out of 10 on the Deer IQ test. That's pretty good. How do you compare? If you haven't, go ahead and take it. And here are some key high IQ takeaways and challenges from this episode. First, think about your mentality when attempting to hunt a mature buck. How could you be more patient and operate on his time frame versus yours? Second, are your hunting goals realistic for your area and age class of deer? Have you really thought about the three and a half year old as a shooter? This may be a controversial one, so go ahead and share why or why not wherever you're listening. 
And third, if you're getting value out of this and want to connect with more hunters to share experiences and to learn from, head over to the private Deer IQ Facebook group and join the crew there. There's some great guys in there. There's a great spot to share what you're learning and to meet some expert hunters to learn from as well. Next episode, I'll give an in-depth view of what I've learned over the last few series and episodes and answer some questions that have come up so far. You won't want to miss that. I'll see you then.